Welcome everyone to a brand new episode of Smack Talk with Sandu. And I tell you something, my guest this week is precisely why I launched my own show. I've only had a chance to speak to my guest this week in the odd media scrum here or there, five minutes here, 10 minutes there. I've never really had an extended sit down conversation with him. He is one of the nicest guys in the sport. He is one of the most professional athletes, not just in MMA, but in all of combat sports. He is not done by any means. And he's got a big couple of years ahead of him, I feel, in my gut. It's my pleasure to introduce the legend, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Stephen, how are you, my friend? Doing great. Doing great. I like the legend. <laughs> Brought well, me in as the legend. I appreciate it, my friend. You are a legend because you know, look at your combat sports history in kickboxing, in MMA. You've carried yourself with absolute dignity and respect. And I feel like that, you know, means that in my book, at least you are a legend. Um, and here's where I'd like to start, Stephen. And I don't know how many people know this story, but I did a little digging around, did a little research. September 1994, UFC 3 in Charlotte, North Carolina. You correct me if I'm wrong on this. A 12-year-old Stephen Wonderboy Thompson attended his very first UFC event. Is that correct? You are correct. My dad took me to Charlotte, North Carolina. I think it was at the Grady Cole Center, which is pretty crazy because my dad had his very first kickboxing fight in the 70s at the Grady Cole Center. And um, it was just, it was one of those things at the time that was kind of underground, you know, UFC, uh, you know, pay-per-view. It was kind of... Um, people weren't really sure what they thought about it at that point. It was, you know, people were talking about how gruesome it was. There's a small community of people who just loved it. Right. My dad was always been a big advocate on, you know, you know, growing up in a karate background, but learning the grappling, learning the wrestling. And at that time it was literally style versus style. Right. And now MMA is its own thing, but it, um, it was just the coolest thing. I told my dad then that I was going to do this one day. That, that's wild. So did you know that you were about to go to a cage fighting event or, or like when you get in the car with your dad, like where did you think you were going or did you actually know what you were heading into that night? No. So I remember as a kid, my dad used to referee uh, kickboxing fights, tough man competitions, you know, uh, kickboxing fights. So I thought it was just another one of those, you know, my dad would go up there referee and me and my brothers and sister would be running around the, the venue going, just going crazy. But I didn't know it was an actual UFC event. You know, I just thought it was a, another fight he was going to referee, but he was a spectator. And um, I didn't know what to expect. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. I mean, you had Kimo coming out with a big cross on his back to the cage. You know, these guys were fighting bare knuckle. Some ninjutsu guy ended up winning it because uh, Gracie couldn't come back out because he, you know, he was too injured. He ended up winning the fight, but he was so injured he couldn't come back out and finish. And, um, it was just so cool, man. It was just something that you'd never seen. We were always grew up as a family around the TV watching boxing fights. So that's kind of what brought us together, watching kickboxing, watching combative sports. And it, it was just one of those. But that's something I've never seen before. And uh, it always intrigued me. If the Stephen of 2023 could go back in time in the DeLorean and speak to 12-year-old Stephen and say, hey, based upon your experience that night, the seed is going to be planted at some point you're going to actually fight in the UFC and you're going to fight on big shows and, and headline events and be on pay-per-view cards. And what would that conversation be like? 
man, to be honest with you, I don't think I would say a thing because if I did, maybe that would trigger something in my head not to do it or stray somewhere else or like me doing this. Are you kidding me? No way. Cause then it, then it wouldn't happen. You know what I mean? Just thinking, you know, back to the future since, you know what I mean? If I say something, it could change my mind. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's been many times growing up where I didn't want to do the martial arts. I wanted to quit. Did not want to go train. I mean, it was mandatory in our household growing up, the martial arts. My dad, you know, opened up his school in 1983 in Simpsonville, got two brothers, two sisters. And it was mandatory in our household that we had to train. It was just as, as important as our education. And, you know, I had to do karate class twice a week, I had to do jujitsu class twice a week, and I had to do kickboxing class twice a week. I had to get all those in. And if I didn't get those classes in, I'd be in trouble. And, and then get my homework in on top of that. So it was kind of one of those things where, you know, as a kid, for a little while there, I just didn't want to do it. But once I kind of realized that I had no say so in it, you know, it just became my life. It just became every day. Like I knew nothing else but train and compete. Of course, in those days, I competed in karate tournaments and I started my full contact training actually uh, at the age of 12 because I, I kept getting disqualified actually in karate tournaments, kept hitting too hard. And, um, you know, that's when I started my full contact training at 12 years old. Did I know that I was going to be in the UFC? I, I don't think so. But I think just uh, the full contact and, and just the competitive aspect of the game is what intrigued me and something that I fell in love with. So, and at the time, kickboxing was actually a lot more popular than MMA. MMA was still underground. So that's what I kind of put everything into. I put the jujitsu on the back burner, focused on the kickboxing. I get people ask me all the time, you know, would you go back and and, and change anything? And I don't think I would because I wouldn't be the fighter I am today if it wasn't just for that kickboxing, you know, um, experience. And to be honest with you, I'm kind of, people told me, you know, have told me I'm kind of one of the last, I guess, uh, specialists out there. Mm. But whenever I came into the UFC, you had, you know, Damian Maya, strictly just a grappler. You had Anderson Silva, who's good everywhere, but he was known for his striking, you know, and you still had to kind of, you had those specialists out there. But, and nowadays, just everybody's just coming in, just sick everywhere. You know? Yeah, you're right. I feel like it's few and far between. The only one that comes to mind recently is is maybe Alex Pereira, right? Exactly. Where he came from a strictly kickboxing background, had very few MMA fights, and then just got thrust right into the UFC only because Israel had been cleaning out the middleweight division. Yeah, exactly. And and that's kind of how the UFC was with me. You know, I was five and zero. Oh. I couldn't go back amateur. Once you start, start, you know, you turn pro in a fight sport, you have to continue to go pro all the way, you know, whatever uh, sport it is, kickboxing, boxing, MMA. So I couldn't go back amateur. I was already pro kickboxing. So, and I was kind of thrust out there, literally trying to learn the wrestling and jujitsu as I kind of went along. I was five and zero, oh, and then UFC called in 2012. And I was actually getting ready to turn it down because I felt like I wasn't ready. Those guys, you know, you had Roy McDonald, yeah, George St. Pierre, a solid wrestler who I was training with at the time, and he was just throwing me around like a little rag doll. I just felt like I wasn't ready. But my dad said, you know, 
this is, could be your only chance. I mean, UFC probably never, never, never call again. This is it. You might as well go out there and make the best of it. And I, I did. I just went out there and trying to learn and still learning as much as I can with about, you know, the wrestling and, and, and the jujitsu at the same time, still trying to better my striking as well. And um, it was funny because after my second, I think my second fight in the UFC, I got out wrestled by Matt Brown. So everybody's like, you know, Steven's got no wrestling, blah, blah, blah. And I was kind of upset because I was working really hard on my wrestling. You just didn't see it. So my third fight, I fought a guy named Sean Burrell and I out wrestled him, you know, I took him down every round, controlled him up against the cage. And it wasn't the most exciting fight. Let's just say that. Mm-hmm. And then at the, at the end of the fight, I go to the back doing the interviews and things like that. And, um, uh, one of the matchmakers, oh, what was his name? He's not with the UFC anymore, but he, he, um, Joe Silva. Remember? Yes. Joe Silva. And he said, Steven, awesome win. But just remember, it wasn't your wrestling that got you here. So I'm like, all right, picking up what you're putting down. So I kind of just use the wrestling and the jujitsu to keep the fight standing, right? right. Where I'm most exciting, where, I, where people want to see me. And um, yeah, man, I've just been along for the ride ever since. 10 plus years in the UFC. If you could, you know, the highs and lows, how would you evaluate and reflect upon the experience of competing for the number one promotion and against the absolute best and elite competition the sport has to offer? Man, it has been the coolest experience of my life. Not just fighting, obviously, fighting some of the best fighters in the world. Like that just sounds like that comes out from like a, um, a fantasy book or, or an anime. I mean, who can say they fought the best fighters in the world, right? I can. That's really cool. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, it, the, the fight, the fight game is, is part of my life. Like that's, that's always going to be there. I always learn from, from a win or a loss, but I think what I remember the most is the people that I met, the people that I've trained with, the people that I've become really good friends with through the fight game, you know, GSP, one of my good buddies, Rashad Evans, who I just saw recently, I've got to train with Anderson Silva, the Oto Machida, you know, I got to train with Ryan Hall, Gordon Ryan. I've got to train with, um, you know, Chris Weidman, helping him through the rankings at 185 becoming champ. Um, and there were long lasting relationships that I've had through the fight game is what it's about, man. Those long lasting relationships, even after the fight game that I've, um, that I have now through fighting with the UFC and the people that, um, that I've, uh, you know, had a positive influence on mm-hmm. through, through the fight game. The fact that you've been in the UFC for so long, I felt like going into the Kevin Holland fight last December, your back was against the wall because a few results didn't go your way. And then you are involved in, in my opinion, and I think most people would agree, one of the fights of the year, you get the result, you're back in the win column. Now looking back, at that particular performance, you know, going through the fire like you did with Kevin Holland, what was that experience like? Because I don't feel like that's the kind of fight we typically see you in. Yes, you've been in, in, in wars before, but something felt different about that Kevin Holland fight, especially at this stage of your career. What was going through my mind is this is the fight that I've been wanting, right? This is the, these are the kind of fights that people want to see. 
the two previous fights before the Kevin Holland fight, obviously fighting some of the best guys, you know, Bilal Muhammad, you know, Gilbert Burns, and who I could have easily easily turned down, but I didn't, you know. Obviously wanted to wanted to test myself, but didn't get the win. But what I think disappointed me the most out of that fight was I wasn't able to show the fans what I'm capable of and the excitement, which brings people to the fight game, what, what people want to see. I wasn't able to, to do that. You know, my opponents were very intelligent when it came to the, when it come to, to beating me, you know, taking me down, holding me down. There wasn't really a whole lot going on. And I think, uh, you know, whenever I fight, yes, I want to be, I want to go out there and give it my all, but I also want to put a, on a, a good show for the fans. I want them to, to keep coming back, right? If it wasn't for them, we wouldn't have a job. Um, so going out there, I knew that Kevin Holland was going to be the best dance partner for sure. He's going to go out there and give it all he's got. He's going to try to keep the fight standing. I knew at some point he was going to shoot, but I knew it was going to be an exciting fight. Mm. And that's what people want to see. And I think that's what brings the best out of me are, are those type of fights. I mean, it was the Vicente Luque fight, right? It was the Jeff Neal fight that was, uh, and those all got, we all got fight of the night. We all got the fight of the night bonuses. And, and of course the Kevin Holland fight. Um, I want to be exciting. And um, I think that's what brought the best out of me, knowing the fact that he was going to go out there and give it all and, and bring the best out of me. Not just, you know, I knew the fight was going to be stay standing. I knew I could defend off the takedown to keep the fight standing. And he knew it too. And um, yeah, man, it, it was, it was just, it was epic. Like I can go out there and, and obviously me knock him out or him knock me out is what people want to see. And I knew that could happen at any point because uh, he's that good. I mean, just watched him his last fight. He still had a hurt hand and still knocked out Ponzinibbio. Yeah. He, you know, his bread and butter was his right hand. That shows how good he is. He's still out there and finished him, even though he's, his hand was still injured. I'm like, wow. I mean, he's um, unbelievable. Yeah. Well, congratulations, not just on the performance, but also on the result. Uh, I know how good that must have felt to get your hand raised in victory after a while. There's two things that I want to I noodle on quickly on that fight. The first is the way the fight ended. You know, we don't typically in MMA see a corner stoppage, you know, the corner throwing in the towel. And I'd love to kind of get your perspective on perhaps why we don't see enough of that. And perhaps should we um, see more of that from corners protecting their fighters in the cage? Yeah, that was a big thing, especially coming up in the kickboxing world. Like, you know, especially when you had, you know, standing eight counts that are involved and you're getting knocked down and allowing your opponent to get back up to their feet. That can be very dangerous. You know, I, people say boxing is more dangerous than MMA. And I agree when it comes to taking headshots. You know, sometimes you don't get that three knockdown rule. You know, sometimes you do. You get knocked down. That could be a, con a concussion. They allow you to continue. You know, in MMA, it's not like that. So very rarely do you get that. If you get hurt, normally there's going to be a finish. But sometimes you get a guy out there, for instance, for a good, good, good example, the Tony Ferguson fight. Um, I forgot who he fought, but it was I, I was literally yelling at the TV to for the referee to stop it. When you're standing out there and you're bloody, you're battered and you're shaking your head, like trying to wake yourself up, like, like, all right, guys, that, that's, that's enough. I think there, sh there, there should be a rule where your corner man is allowed to do so is allowed to throw in the towel. 
because us fighters, we're not going to give up. We're not going to quit. Right. Yeah. We're not going to go out there. Like, and we, it's like me and my dad, even, even me saying that me and my dad have this unwritten rule, this unwritten thing that we have, like, we're not going to throw in the towel, towel, like either I'm going to come back with my shield or I'm going to come back on it. Kind of the old Spartan, you know, mentality, like don't ever throw in the towel for me. Yeah. You know, but at the same time, your coaches are there to make sure that you're safety first, that you're able to fight and live, you know, and, and be able to have a, a normal conversation with your grandkids as you get older. And I think that's, that's something. So during that fight, it wasn't actually the, the, the corner who actually threw in the towel. It was Kevin Holland saying, take this, take my gloves right. off. Like, I'm yeah. Done, right. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously the corner was like, okay, the fight's over. But it was more Kevin Holland saying that. But I think there should be a rule where maybe or somebody out there, maybe it's not your corner, man, but somebody there on the side. Ready to throw in the towel if they think you're, you know, they're taking too much punishment. Right. And maybe that could be too controversial, but. You've got to take care of each other, man. We got to take care of you. I, I know so many fighters out there right now who slur their words when they talk, you know. Yeah. Take too much punishment out there or not allowing them. So they retire and then come back when they shouldn't be back and they're just taking punishment, man. Uh, you know, I, that's something that I told my dad, either, either I'll do this as long as my body will let me, or when my dad says I'm done, if he thinks, and he knows me more than I know myself at this point, I will continue to fight forever. But I know in my head, if my dad says I'm done, he sees something in me or out there in the fight that I'm taking too much punishment now and I need to stop. And that's what I'm done. That's what I'm going to call it today. He knows me more. And, and, you know, to have somebody in your corner or in your training camp or, or somebody close to you that you respect that can tell you that to your face. We have a lot of less, a yes men around us nowadays, right. a lot of fighters, a lot of yes men. And they will just tell you what you want to hear and not take care of you. So I think we need more, more of those guys, more of the guys that will, Tell you like it is. You're done, man. Stop. I agree. Amen. Speaking of punishment, during that fight, you broke your hand. And it's not the first time you've broken your hand. Um, were you just like, dang it, here we go again. I've got to now <laughs> recover, recuperate, and get surgery. Like, what was that like for you to go through that again? Yeah. So I didn't realize it was hurt till I took my my wrap off. My dad has a very good wrap. He does a very good wrap job. It's funny because when my dad wrapped my hands, there's a lot of guys back there watching them. They're studying my dad wrapping my hands. And they're like, man, that is a sick wrap. And it's solid, man. It's got one of the best hand wraps out there. And I didn't know it was broken until after they took the, the wrap off, you know. Um, and I think it. I injured it again because I ended up breaking my hand against Vicente Luque years ago, a few years back. And they say once you break your hand, you're prone to do it again, even though I do, you know, for years, I've done a lot of hand conditioning, but Vicente Luque, man, he's got a melon on him. He's got a massive, just Neanderthal skull, just hard head known for his granite head. You know, I ended up breaking my hand, both of my hands. I felt that I felt those during the fight, but this last fight didn't realize it after the fight was over, we took the hand wraps off and I, and I made a fist. I'm like, oof, that, that feels familiar. I ended up breaking the first and second metacarpal. So I didn't need any surgery. Um, just a little bit of time. I had it in a splint for a few weeks and then that was it. But Kevin, he, I think you might've saw the the shot that broke his hand. Mm -hmm. He hit me in the forehead, made my ears ring. My ears were ringing. 
and ended up recovering, but that's the shot that did it. And I don't think, I think he felt it, but once I started aiming for that hand, I think he knew that it was just over, but it was terrible break, man. I saw he, he sent me actually the, the x-rays of it. Oh my gosh, it was bad. And it wasn't like a month ago, he had the pins taken out and he's fine. He fought last weekend. That's wild. The guy is a nut, man. I love him to death, but golly, I, there's no way I would have taken that fight. Like, nah, man, make sure my hand's nice and ready, but he'll take any fight. He's the type of guy a thousand or 2000 years ago fighting in the Coliseum. Like that's Kevin Holland. You know what I mean? He's fighting lions, he's fighting tigers. That's the kind of guy he is. And he's mouthing off at the same time. (laughs) Exactly. It was funny because during that fight, I think coming out of the second round, I was trying to pick the pace up and he was like, Hey man, slow down. I'm like, nah, I'm picking it up. I'm picking it up. And, uh, I think he, I, I, back in the, um, after the fight, we watched the fight and he goes back in the corner. He's like, man, that old fart is like fast, man. He didn't say fart. He said something else, but still, I thought it was a fun. That old man, only 40. Come on, man. Hilarious. I was watching one of your old interviews from, from 2022. And I feel like it's mystic wonder boy predicts these things because you said uh, that you wanted to fight Kevin Holland. Right. And then you said that you wanted to fight Michelle Pereira. So the Kevin Holland fight, is, is done and dusted. You've kind of checked that box and it looks like all roads are now leading to UFC 289 in Vancouver on June 10th against Michelle Pereira. What is it about Michelle Pereira that got your juices flowing? And also more importantly, you're ranked number seven. Michelle Pereira is ranked behind you, right? And a lot of guys in your position wouldn't take opponents that either not ranked or ranked behind you, they're kind of usually looking forward. So what was it about this fight that you know, made sense to you? Well, this isn't the first time that I've actually fought guys, you know, ranked significantly behind me, like, you know, pretty far back, but you know, I wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't for those guys at the time, the Jake Ellenbergers, the, the, the Johnny Hendricks, the Roy McDonald's who gave me that opportunity, right. To, to, to work their way up. There's a lot of guys that hold that just hold on to their one spot so hard and they won't fight anybody behind them. They only want to fight guys ranked above them. But you you gotta give those guys an opportunity as well. Mm. And at the same time, if you do defeat those guys, then you deserve to be there, right? You're like you, that's that's your spot. And then, but in my mind, going back and letting these guys work their way up, right? test themselves up against you also test me and let's, let's me know what I need to work on or, or, um, you know, it pushes me mentally, physically, emotionally. Uh, cause any, if you fight in the UFC, you're, you're freaking good. doesn't matter where you're ranked. Anybody has the opportunity to finish you. And that's, that's kind of how I see it, you know? And, but, but I think what's more important is giving these guys an opportunity to, to, to test themselves up against a top ranked guy. And if they beat me, then they deserve to be there, you know, take it. But there's a lot of guys ranked above me who are holding on so tight to their spot. It doesn't look good in, in, in the fans eyes, and especially in the UFC's eyes. Um, you should be taking on those, those up and comers. Now, if, if it's a guy that you I've never heard of, you know, maybe, um, you know, there have been times where I've turned guys down. I was ranked number one. And they wanted me to fight a guy named uh, Darren Till. I'm like, I don't even know who Darren Till is. At the time, I didn't. He wasn't even ranked, I don't think. But um, I gave him the opportunity, you know. 
Uh, I, I said no, obviously, a few times. And they're like, well, you know, we're going to we'll, we'll uh, renegotiate your contracts. So I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> but um, no, but Michelle, man, if you've ever seen this guy fight, that's another fight of the year right there. I, he's a wild eye. man. Yeah. Man, he's cutting flips. He's running across the cage. He's got karate background as well. Uh, he's a big welterweight, but he's exciting to watch. And I think that just makes sense. Like who would not want to watch that fight? Right. Who right. wouldn't want to watch that fight? Those are the fights that intrigue me the most. Those are the fights that get me excited. Right. Not the guys who I, who are going to lay there on you and be the most boring fight ever. Like that's nobody wants to see that. And I don't think that's a good use for my talent as well for the UFC. You know, they want to see the best fights and I can give them that with guys like Kevin Holland. I can give those exciting fights where guys are standing up in their seats you know, applauding at the end of the fight with the Michelle Pajares, the, the Vicente Luque's, the Jeff Neal's. Now, those aren't the guys that I I would love to fight. I wish everybody was like that, but, you know, I'm not going to turn them down if, if they give me a, uh, you know, a Gilbert Burns or whatever. But the, they just excite me, man. I know that, that we're going to put on a show. We're going to put on a show. And also, it's not the first time you'll be fighting in Canada. You fought in Ottawa and Toronto. Do you enjoy fighting north of the border? Oh, I love it, man. That's like, for the longest, that was my home away from home. Spent a lot of time in Canada. You know, a lot of time, a lot of time in Toronto and Montreal. Um, it, it was kind of my home away from home. I got a lot of fans in Canada. Um, so I, to be able to go back, and I was wondering when the next time I would go back and fight in Canada will be again. But Vancouver, beautiful place. Beautiful. I've been to Vancouver as a, as a, as a, uh, uh, a guest fighter. Um, actually, I don't know if you guys saw it, but I was in, I think it was Vancouver with me and Kamara Usman had like a little dance competition outside. I don't know if you saw that. That was in Vancouver. Beautiful place. It, and I got to train the cast of the Green Arrow there as well. That's where they filmed the Green Arrow. So um, really cool. I'm excited to go back and, and be able to perform in front of the Canadian fans. So um, yeah, man, June 10th is the plan. I haven't signed any contracts yet. So it's, kind of up in the air but that's the plan that's the plan let me ask you a question what does randy couture glover Teixeira, and daniel cormier all have in common were they champions over 40 bingo they were all <laughs> champions they were all ufc champions in their 40s and i feel like you get past michelle Pereira, you could be the first 40 year old ufc champion in a in a lower weight class because it's always harder the lower the weight class you go it just it's one of those things it's it's perhaps you know quote unquote easier as a light heavyweight or a heavyweight to win a championship um, the older you get but i would imagine that that is still the numero uno goal for you is to become ufc welterweight champion right Always. And I think after a great win, obviously, with, with, with Kevin Holland and a great win over Michelle Pajeda, not taking away anything away from these guys, but a good win over these guys, I get another shot at somebody in the top five and then maybe a Leon. I think Leon wants to fight another striker. I mean, he's mm -hmm. turned, turning Colby Covington down. I know Danny White's saying he's going to fight him, but he's turning Colby Covington down. And the top five is it's a, it's a murderer's row of grapplers. Yeah. Right. And Leon actually gives me inspiration because he's a, he's predominantly a striker, you know, he's very good at wrestling. I mean, you got to be good in order to take Kamara Usman down somebody who's never been taken down and controlled to be able to defend the takedown to keep the fight standing. So he inspires me to keep pushing forward, but I think Leon was a striker as well. So 
He doesn't want to fight till October is what I, what I've been told. I, I fight, you know, Michelle Pajeda, good fight over that. And you never know, man, UFC wants to fight, see good fights. It would be kind of unfair, but to be able to jump those guys and be able to fight for the title would be sick. Well, that was a great segue for my next question. I feel like there's a growing trend of fighters that are in that kind of like on the cusp of fighting for a title that are perhaps happy to be a backup fighter. Colby was supposed to be the backup fighter in London, and now he's getting the next shot. Gilbert has said, hey, for Leon's next fight, I'll be the backup fighter. What, what do you think about that? Would, would that be something that you would consider as being a backup fighter if that guarantees you the next shot? Is that something that you'd be interested in? Hundred percent, man. Hundred percent. Like I said, the strap is the number one goal. Strap is the number one goal. Actually, I would say it's the number two goal because oh. I f I like to fight, right? And I think fighting, especially in my sport, I, I I my goal is to be the best that I can be, right? Every day, I train, mm -hmm. I work, I fight but to be the best self that you can be every day. So I think that's the number one goal is to try to, how far can I go? How much better can I get? I think with that mindset keeps you humble and keeps you, your, your cup, you know, half full um, or keeps an empty cup and strives for you to, 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 to improve every day. Because when we start thinking that we're as, as good as we're going to get, we start losing the mindset to go into train. We start slacking a little bit. You know what I mean? Mm. So I think with that mindset, it keeps me pushing forward in that way. It makes it easier to get to get to that title. So you recently turned 40 years old, right? I'm going to be turning 40 years old later on this year. If there's someone out there watching this that's a teenager or perhaps in their early 20s, and this doesn't have to be you know, fight or combat sports related. If there's one piece of advice that you'd want to pass on to someone that is a, a lot younger than us, what would that be? Some bit of life advice. Well, number one, and I tell this to everybody, like if you want to be the best at whatever craft that, you, that it is, it could be being a garbage man. It could be being a, a professor. It could be, you know, could be anything. It could be a professional sport. I don't if you want to be the best at what you do, you have to be comfortable with the grind. You have to, you have to be, and I see this every day, still in my parents every day, beating the bushes every day, building the school up. I see this in professional athletes. I've, I've trained with a lot of champions. It doesn't matter if they're sick, not feeling good. Their honey broke up with them. Um, they're feeling a little down. They, they're always in, they're always in training. There's always something that you can do to better yourself, to improve, to get better, to make that step that, cause you know, right now we're here. The goal is to be up here, right? The top. But every day you go in and you get comfortable with being uncomfortable and, and grinding it out that you, you keep moving forward. You keep getting better, right? I see these champions that I've trained with. They don't take days off. They could be injured, but there's always something they can do in the gym. And then at the same time, there's more people out there and I think that's why they're champions. There's more people out there making excuses why they can't come in. Right? They listen to that little voice in their head. Oh, I'm not feeling good. I'm not going to go in today. And they listen to it and they do it. They stay home. But it's the ones that are, like I said, that are comfortable with the grind. And that are comfortable with being uncomfortable 
those are the guys that are successful. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones that, that make it, that become the best. You know, I'm mean, look at uh, Michael Jordan, one of the best, the best people say that the, the go to basketball, yeah. how many times was he in the gym or how many times did he take days off? Probably never. You know what I'm saying? So you got to be comfortable with the grind and you got to learn to love it. You got to learn to love it. There are so many days where I don't want to go in and work that I don't want to go in and train, but I'm so used to defeating that person in my head and doing it anyway. And once you give into that person, that thing in your head telling you not to go, once you give into that, it makes it so much easier every time. Man, I feel like I've run through a wall right now. Like <laughs> you, you could easily be a motivational speaker, my friend. Uh, it, it, kind of, it kind of leans into a lot of the content that I see on your YouTube channel. Uh, and by the way, congrats. You're like on the cusp of half a million subscribers, Wonder Boy <laughs> MMA. Can I just ask you about that journey? Because I feel like a lot of fighters still haven't perhaps leaned into the opportunities, you know, while you're at the top of your game, while you're in the UFC or on a big show or a big promotion to, to leverage your social media and create content um, so that you can build something for your you know, life post your, you know, combative career. Um, the, the channel's great. You've got breakdowns, you've got uh, technique skills, you've got previews, reviews, you've got it all there. What inspired you to start the channel and what's that journey been like for you? Well, we, me and my brother, Tony Sweet, we call him Sweet T. Uh, we've had this idea for, for, for years now. We never really pulled the trigger because we didn't know how to go about it. We were just nervous to go out there and, and get started. And it's kind of the same mindset as, you know, people coming in to train. The hardest thing to do is just stepping on the mat. So the hardest thing for us was just doing it. Right. And we had a lot of fans in my social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, who've always wanted me to break down techniques and learn about my style. And we never really had a platform to to kind of to do that. Right. So we found out about the YouTube and there was at the time, there was a few guys that were doing the YouTube thing, but they weren't very consistent. Like Tyron Woodley had his champ uh, camp, you know, Donald Cerrone had some videos that he would post every three or four months. And so finally me and Sweet T, my brother, were just like, you know what, let's do it. Let's get it. Let's buy a camera. Let's, let's start out with just doing a technique Tuesday and let's get a schedule going. And Tony had no idea how to edit anything or how to promote it or he, it's just something that we just kind of, we winged it really. And that's what people love to see where you started from and where you are now. Right. So we have those videos of where we started, where the, the editing was crap, you know, me talking to the camera was terrible. I'm stuttering, you know, but it is something that we just did for the fun of it. And we loved it. Not only that, but the fans loved it. We didn't know it was going to blow up like we did. You know, it blew up instantly. We got to 100,000 within like uh, less than a year. And we've had our ups and our downs. And there, you know, there are videos that we we thought were just going to crush it. And they do terrible. And there are videos that we thought, oh, they're not going to do so good. And they blow up with over a million views. And it's like, dude, like there's no figuring this out. We just got to do it and just have fun with it. And that's what we're doing, man. We have Tedney Tuesdays. I have fighter breakdowns. I have. Uh, there's a lot of things that we do just for the fun of it. We did Fruit Ninja one that were that that you know we cater to all ages, you know, from from kids all the way up to adults to fight fans, and uh, it's just fun, man. We're having a blast with it. 
Well, as someone that works in social media, people don't realize how much work goes into the back end of YouTube and to hack the algorithm, thumbnails yeah. and tags and, and all the admin on YouTube. And so a tip of the cap to you because it's, it's buttoned up, it looks premium. And like I said, almost half a million subscribers, which is just an incredible feat in itself. Um, Thank you. you mentioned earlier on that, you know, you've trained with champions and one specific double champion that you spent some time with recently was with Conor McGregor in Las Vegas during the, the tough tapings. How did that come about? How did you two cross paths? I know you guys are a part of the same management agency, Paradigm, but in terms of actually spending some time together on site in Las Vegas, how did that all come about for you? Well, I was out there in Vegas doing a, a Jose Cuervo commercial <laughs> with uh, Kevin Holland. Uh, who's one of the big sponsors of the UFC. And I was out there. We went to the PI, hung out there. I got a little workout in. And that's where they were filming the tough show. So ended up meeting my manager. Obviously, me and Connor have have bumped into each other many, many, many times. And a uh, very nice guy. And uh, I was literally uh, that Tuesday getting ready to go home. We were having lunch with one of my managers with Paradigm. And we were getting ready to go to the airport and got a call from Connor saying he wanted me to be a part, uh, a guest coach. So I was like, are you kidding me? Let's, let's go. Like, this is an opportunity I can't turn down. So ended up staying an extra three or four days, just being a guest, a uh, guest coach out there for his team, which was just awesome. You know what I mean? It was really cool. And I think one of the workouts, I actually did the workout, you know, Connor taught it and I did the workout with the guys, which was a lot of fun. I mean, he's, he's inspires his team man. he's, he's a hundred percent in, with his teams every step of the way, which, which I love because that's what I do for a living. You know, I teach for a living, but to be able to see him with the, the compassion for those guys and want to see them win, he puts everything into his, into his guys. And I, uh, I love that, man. I love that. Did you get a sense that he's got motivation, fire in the belly, the hunger to really kind of make a big comeback in the UFC? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I can see it every time that he talks, Every, every punch that he threw, it was like he was swinging at somebody. You know what I mean? Like you could see it in him. And it's funny because when you take time off like that and you're a guy like him who has been at the top of the game for a long time, not just in the fight game, but in business, you have that urge to compete, right? You have that fire in you, that flame, to re and you see it rekindled in him. I'm, I'm excited to see him fight again, for sure. How did you see that fight with him and Chandler go down? Oh, man, dude. I mean, if, if Conor McGarrett, I, I was looking at his fist, he's got freaking mittens on that. He's got huge freaking mitts as hands. Like you put that on your dome piece anywhere, you're going out, which is why it almost seems very easy. When he hits you with that left hand, guys drop. No wonder when you got like mitts like his. He's got bigger hands than I do. It's ridiculous, man. So, yeah, man, it, it's going to be a, a, a sick fight for sure. People kind of miss him, you know, use, utilizing that karate stance, right? Kind of, he kind of morphed from a karate stance, light on his feet, to more of a, a boxing stance in recent fights. Mm -hmm. um, is that something that you'd like to see him return back to? Is, is kind of like that karate stance, the kind of like the performance he put on against Aldo, where he's very light and, you know, hoppy on his feet? Yes, actually. I mean, that's kind of where he lived for the longest and where he did, at, you know, he did his best. When he kind of got in that boxer's mentality, you know, obviously training for the Mayweather fight, kind of got in that boxer stance, lost his movement. Um, and I think that's what made him good was his movement, was that karate stance, that movement, that in and out, that getting his guys to bait, you know, to faint and then attack. That's where he lived. 
but yes, I think he gets back to that. He's going to, he's going to obviously be, you know, be successful. And speaking of karate, you are also involved with karate combat. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, you are a sensei. I haven't seen any of the shows, but I've seen tons of clips on social media. I love the kind of pit and the camera angles that they can get with the combatants like competing is something that you just don't see in other sports, in other combat sports. How did that come about? How did you get involved with karate combat? What is your role? What does that entail? And and what is the, I guess, the ceiling for, for a show and a promotion like karate combat in your opinion? Well, it's, it's definitely, I mean, karate combat, I, you know, when you think of MMA and karate, people think of Steve Otoboy Thompson, right? So it was just a perfect fit for me. I mean, you had Leo's Machida, you have GSP as another sensei, you have Boss Rudin as another sensei. Um, and then it's, it's, a, it's a, at the time when I growing up, like us karatekas, we didn't have a professional sport to go into specifically karate. We had to go into MMA or kickboxing, right? Or point fighting as well. But now you got guys who can make a living fighting full contact karate. Right. We didn't, we never had, this. this is the first time in our history that we've had something like this. Mm. So it's huge, man. I mean, it's very exciting. The pit alone is, is really cool. You got guys, you know, running off the, the side of the wall, picking dudes up and slamming them off the wall. It, it's really exciting, but I'm known as a sensei where I break down fights. I break down techniques. Um, I also uh, am involved with a lot of the fighters there and helping these guys improve um, their skill set coming from a guy that has been there, right? Who's been fighting in front of the big show for a long time and in front of people and had that experience to be able to pass that down to these guys is just awesome. So um, it's growing, man. And it's, it is really exciting. I don't know if you've ever watched it. You can watch it on karate.com uh, for free. It's just amazing. I mean, somebody's getting knocked out in karate combat. So fun. Yeah, there's always these viral clips that I see on Twitter or, or, or Instagram. <laughs> like, I think that's one of the things that you're almost guaranteed in, in karate combat, right? Um, a final few things, and I really appreciate the time. We had some massive news recently where Jake Paul is going to be boxing Nate Diaz. Can I just, like, obviously Nate Diaz, is he's one of our guys. He's an MMA guy. He's like one of the biggest superstars, one of the biggest icons and legends in the game. Um, your reaction uh, to that being his first boxing fight outside of uh, leaving the UFC, and how do you think that fight goes down? Man, to be honest with you, Nate Diaz is not... He's got good hands, but he's not a boxer, right? He's not known as just a, a, a pure boxer. And it's really nice to be able to see Jake and Logan Paul. They're very intelligent with who they fight, right? The big names, but they're never guys that, that are solely focused on the striking aspect. Like, you, I don't think you'll ever see Jake Paul fight somebody like me, right? I mean, Anderson Silva's no better striker, but he's, what, 43, 44 now? Mm -hmm. You know, the reactions aren't the same at that point. Um, um, he's still one of the best. I think he's very, very good fighter, but they picked their guys very well, man. Uh, and Jake fighting these guys, he's improving in his boxing skills every day. You gotta, you gotta tip your hat to these guys. They come from a, what vine, they got really popular on vine when vine was a thing. Then YouTube, there were YouTubers and now they're professional athletes, man. It's crazy to be able to see the progression that these guys take. But I mean, I, I I would love to see Nate win this fight, but I just don't see it happening. I don't see it happening. Uh, I think Jake has is, is solidified himself as a professional athlete. He looked great his last fight. Um, even though he lost it, I think he did really well against a professional boxer. Um, 
you know, cardio was good. The guys train like a real athlete. So you got to tip their hats off to the guys and they're making money. Yep. They're making mad money. So I don't know. I, I think Jake's got it. Well, one thing's for sure, we're going to be tuning in because that's one of the biggest fights in combat sports on the calendar in 2023. Stephen, the thing that I like to do to finish all of my conversations, finish all of my interviews, is something I like to call the bit for social. And it's something different every single week. So for you, what I'd like to do is build the perfect MMA fighter based on five different disciplines. So we're going to go for boxing, leg kicks, wrestling, jujitsu, and fight IQ. Okay. So first of all, best boxing. So I got to pick a fighter, pick a fighter in each of these disciplines. Who do you think, uh, if we're building the perfect oh, MMA you. fighter, Max Holloway. Who, Max Holloway for best boxing. Perfect. Best leg kicks. Jose Aldo. Best wrestling. Ooh, I'm going for Chris Weidman. Best jujitsu. Oh man, best jujitsu. I'm going with Ryan Hall. And best fight IQ. John Jones. You got to go with John Jones. I mean, I, I, for, for a second there, Izzy Adesanya was like, but fight IQ, as long as he's been champion and been in the UFC for so long, it's got to be John Jones. It's got to be John Jones. I'll tell you what, that would make for one sick MMA fighter, <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, 100%, man. Oh man, a hundred percent. That I mean, with John Jones' IQ, Chris Weidman's wrestling. This guy's the strongest student I've ever seen in my life. The Ryan Hall's jujitsu. It's like I've I've grappled with this dude. I know I'm physically stronger. I'm more athletic. I, I'm bigger than him. He plays with me. Plays with me. It's ridiculous. And then Jose Aldo's leg kicks. And I was doing between Jose Aldo and Barbosa, but I went with Jose Aldo. And then what was the, uh, the, the boxing Max Holloway's boxing? Come on, come on. Unbeatable, unbeatable. Yeah. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. Well, Stephen, like I said at the beginning of our conversation, this is precisely why I launched my show. I've never really had an opportunity to have an extended conversation with you. I feel like I can talk to you for hours on end, but I want to be completely respectful of your time. Michelle Pereira in the works. You know, a few bout agreements need to be signed at this stage when we're talking, but it looks like all roads are leading to you back in the octagon on June 10th in Vancouver. I can't wait. Best of luck. And Thanks. I'm like I said, I'm I love seeing a comeback story. I love see I would love to see you once again just have the opportunity to fight for the title. And if that's meaning you have to earn it and or become a backup fighter, I just want to and also I think you and Leon would be an incredible stylistic matchup as well. Um so I, I do really hope that you get that opportunity, my friend. I appreciate it, brother. And always enjoy hanging out with hope that we can do it again soon sometime. Hell yeah, anytime. Steven, take care my friend and we'll speak to you soon. You got it, brother. Have a good one, sir. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Smack Talk with Sandu. If you aren't already, please make sure to give me a follow on social media. I'm at Sandu MMA on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and I'm also on TikTok. Thank you in advance and do me a favor. Have a great rest of your week. <laughs>